uh, just a continuation of what our brother Ricky opened up in the last session concerning the prayer. And uh, it felt it would be good for him to fellowship this matter of prayer. And then I would like to add something about burden, serving with a burden. You know, um, part of the, the concern that, you know, as, as Brother Ricky was starting, he said we saw some stones going dark. And so some of the things that we had observed as we travel around was that the prayer was becoming shorter and shorter, weaker and weaker, more and more kind of a perfunctory. You know this word perfunctory kind of prayer? Actually, I looked it up and I wanted to read it to you because uh, it's a terrible word, especially if you want to uh, apply it to prayer. Perfunctory, uh, well, let's go back to the definition. Uh, it's performed merely as a routine or a duty, hasty and superficial. Do you like that word? Our prayer should not be hasty, superficial, as a routine or a duty. The other uh, definition, second definition, is lacking interest, care, or enthusiasm, indifferent or apathetic. So, you know, forgive me, I, I you know, neither one of us want to say bad things. <laughs> But uh, I, was in a, I was in a situation not that long ago with a group of saints with, with, over, with about 100 young people. And we gathered in the morning to pray. And always, this is, this is always the way we do it. We always have strong prayer. And then we have some good prayer reading. And then maybe we do a little shepherding or perfecting of the serving ones. But the prayer was weak. And the prayer reading was weak. And so it was really a, a concern to me that they're not used to it. That it is not a common practice. That they would labor in prayer. That they would realize that this is the most important part of the work. And uh, another thing noticed is that you know, the young generation today, and sorry, maybe I'm going to date myself as one of the old guys, and maybe I am, I most definitely am one of the old guys, but today is an age of efficiency. Even a lot of young people get jobs and they work at home. They work remotely, and that's a good job. You can get your work done. You never have to leave the, the, the house. Uh... And so sometimes we bring that kind of attitude or culture into the church life. And so we don't pay the price to come together, as, as Brother Ricky was talking about. And uh, we try to become more efficient by doing it over the phone or by Skype or whatever. And, you know, for sure that's better than nothing. Uh, but this matter, especially in the local churches, in the locality, to come together and to pray and to have seasons of prayer, even where you could set aside a few days to have a, a seeking of the Lord. You know, we practice this uh, at the beginning of the year to come together to have some very strong prayer 
and to really look to the Lord for the direction of the work. And uh, how, how good that would be, uh, that there would be this uh, built up kind of culture among us. The third thing that I'd, I'd mention is that sometimes we notice too that the brothers know that we're always going to pray. The first 30, 40 minutes is going to be prayer. So some show up a little late because it's not that efficient. You know, the prayer, they'll come, they'll time it so they come right around the time when the prayer is over so we can get down to business and uh, plan and uh, arrange. So I really appreciate uh, our brother's feeling and burden that in our churches we have to coach and mentor those serving ones that are coming in that they know when we walk in that room, when we sit down, this is what we do. We pray. We pray with a strong spirit. We pray to touch the Lord, and we don't pray in a perfunctory way, routine or superficial. So I, I just would like to strengthen that point. The second matter that came to our attention that was a concern to us is that we still may have the thought or the feeling that the young people's work equals a young people's meeting. In other words, if you have a young people's meeting, you have a young people's work. And sadly, in your locality, if you don't have young people's meeting, you don't have a quote, quote, young people's work. But the real work with the young people is not a meeting. It is one-on-one, -on -one it's face-to-face, -face. it's even mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. It's personal contact. Brother Lee stressed this over and over again, not just in one book, but again and again. And so we, we also have a lot of fellowship concerning this matter of shepherding. This is the term that we use. And I, I fear using that expression because it may be overused among us. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we right away go to a certain place where we know that, we've done that, we understand that. But I'd just like to mention, shepherding is not a work. Shepherding is a person. Not anybody can shepherd. Only a shepherd can shepherd. And so you have to have a heart of a shepherd. You have to have a skill. You have to have time. You have to be willing to pay a price. You have to have personal contact. There's so many, so many aspects to this work. And it might be that we've satisfied ourselves with a young people's meeting. And so we can check that off. Yes, we have a young people's work. Praise the Lord. And the saints may have the feeling in the churches, may have the feeling, well, you know, we got this really uh, cool group of serving ones. And they're taking care of the young people's work so that the brothers and sisters never have to think about it, never have to think about the young people because it's handled, it's handled. We got some brothers over there that are handling it. But I can assure you this, no matter how many young brothers you have or sisters that are organizing and arranging and planning that young people's meeting, there are not enough of them to shepherd the young people. There's not enough. It needs the whole church. So, um, this first point that I just would like to make, uh, this is kind of a setup. I still have one more thing I want to say about the, the burden. 
But this matter, whether it's the children's work or the young people's work, it has to get into the responsible brothers meeting. The need, the burden, the, the vision. You know, you know we, the brothers in Austin, they stress this very much. If you want to send a team to Austin for the apprenticeship, you know, years ago, you had to send an elder. An elder had to be there because that team had to be represented in the responsible brothers meeting, in the elders meeting. The elders has to, have to be vested in this. You know, the church is paying money, they're supporting full-timers, and then, see, often the way the brothers take the lead in the church, and I can say this because I'm one of the brothers that takes the lead in the church, I'm not criticizing elders or responsible brothers, but you, you get Angel over here, take care of the young people, and Angel, you know, he's a gung-ho brother, he goes, amen, amen, okay, praise the Lord. And so now the elders, let's get, let's get on to other things, and they forget about it. And they think, oh, angel, angel's handling it, you know. It's like that. But the young people and the children have to be sitting at that table every single night. Do you understand what I mean? Someone has to fight for this. In the book, Raising Up the Next Generation, in the section on the children's work, chapter 14, Brother Lee's talking about the sisters needing to be persistent with the leading brothers, to bring the, the, the burden for the children to the leading brothers again and again and again, and this will cause the leading brothers to be burdened. Well, I'd say it's even better if one of the leading brothers was involved in this work and overseeing this work and fellowshipping with the sisters. I can tell you, in my, in my locality, you, you might think that in my place, you know, as Ricky has shared in his place, you might think, well, you know, these things are well-oiled machines, you know, everything is proper and in order. But our church is probably no different than yours. And about every six months to a year, I need to call a timeout in the Leading Brothers meeting and say, okay, next Monday night, it's all me. It's all mine. No other issues, no other matters are going to be fellowship because I need to fellowship with you brothers again about the children's work. You need to know about it. You need to be burdened for it. You need to be concerned so that it stays in front of them. Otherwise, they forget because there's other matters. It's like a husband and a wife. You know, the wife is taking care of the kids. Husband's going off to work every day. And, and the wife, the mother, she knows that Johnny needs a new pair of shoes and Billy has to go to the doctor. And, oh, did you know that Sally lost her front tooth, you know? And so he, dad comes home and... She goes, I need $100 because I got to take so-and-so to the doctor. I got to buy shoes and I got to buy pants. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, just do it, do it, do it. It's like that, you know. Sometimes the leadership in the church is like that. So I have put myself into the position, and sorry to talk like this, as the mother. I'm the mother, okay. <laughs> but anyway, my point is this, is that this burden for the young people is often forgotten. Uh, I'll give you another illustration. In Irvine, I exposed myself, we have 120 young people on our list, junior high and high school and friends. 120, that's a, that's a big local church, you know that? And that's a small army. But when we asked all the district responsible brothers how many young people were in their districts, and they gave us the numbers, 
we only came up with about 60 or 70. That's all they knew about. So my question is, where are those other 60 or 70 young people? The brothers don't even, they're in their district and they don't even know because they don't come to the meetings. Well, now whose fault is that? Or whose responsibility is that? Is that the responsibility of the, the young people coordination? They can't do that. They can take care of a meeting. They might be able to take care of some activity or get the kids to the mountains for a conference. But whose responsibility is it? It really falls on the shoulder of the church. So this is a, actually, this is a very uh, big concern is that the burden for the children and the burden for the young people has to be spread out over the entire congregation. They need to know about it. They need to know what's happening. They need to be burdened for it. It should come up on the prayer uh, list from time to time in the church. So the saints are praying for it. This way it gets on their radar screen. You know, this is actually, this is a constant uh, struggle because the brothers often forget about the children's work. That sister or those sisters have descended the stairs of the meeting hall down into the basement about a decade ago. And we haven't seen them since. They're still down there uh, doing something with the children. And whatever it is, we have no idea. And we didn't pay attention. It was not. But that's not the way to do this. So anyway, this is just maybe, I don't even know. This is not an outline. This, this, I'm just talking, okay? I'm just, this is fellowship. It needs to get into the responsible brothers meeting. If somebody has to pester the brothers, or if you're one of those brothers, you have to be the one to do it. Other than that, or as Brother Lee said, be persistent with the brothers again and again, and this will cause the brothers to become more burdened. Okay, the third thing that we observed <clears throat> in our concern was that um, the Lord has been leading us over the last six years in a pretty specific way. And we've opened up many of these things here in this meeting, and this meeting has provided us a real opportunity to share these kind of things and it seems so fresh you know as it was unfolding in front of us but these matters and I'll mention them producing the children to be seeds of the gospel that our junior hires and our high schoolers would be gospel seeds this is a heavy burden brothers um, number two that we need to bring the, the young people into the church life through the homes and through the service groups of the church. This is also a heavy burden. They need to be related in the home meetings, the small groups, in the service groups. They need to be included, brought in, served together side by side with us. Um, a lot has, has been opened up along this line that is very, very fresh. We're also very burdened that the young people would be perfected in the truth that in all the places there would be a solid summer school of the truth, winter school of the truth, so that we could infuse and constitute them with the, the real matters of the truth in a living, practical way 
to equip them. We also had the, the clear feeling and leading that our work should be a work of life with the experiences of life, helping them to love the Lord, helping them to consecrate themselves to the Lord, helping them to have proper and thorough dealings with the Lord concerning sin and the world and all these kind of things. Now, all these things I mentioned, seats of the gospel, service in the church, children's meeting, ushering, audio, the home meetings, and the truth and life, this requires a kind of hands-on work. This is not something that can be done only in young people's meetings. I think uh, we all feel uh, bad. I feel bad that you never feel satisfied that you've shepherded enough, that you've had that kind of personal contact enough. And so these are the three things, inadequate prayer and a personal one-on-one -on -one work. And number three, to bring them specifically into, in, um, bring them into specific areas and see progress in those areas, measurable, detailed, kind of specific progress. Okay. I might come back to that, but that's maybe all I'll say about that. That's what we came here tonight to talk about, these three things. But coming back to this matter of burden, which was on the outline, I would like to just share a testimony. And uh, I hope the Lord would, would cover me and you all as I open this up to you. Uh, because uh, I'm a little nervous to talk about this. But a number of years ago, the Lord burdened me in a particular way to have some, a specific time with the Lord concerning the young people in the Lord's recovery on the whole earth. And it was not easy to maintain this time, but I began to practice this. And what I would do, it would be at night, I'd go out and I'd walk. There's a pathway in my neighborhood. And I would just call and open and consider Europe, young people, you know, here, what I knew, what I'm conscious of, what I'm aware of. And in those times, I was reminded of some things that were in this booklet. You know, I've read this booklet, I think, maybe a hundred times because I've had to teach the class. And I mean, this is a masterpiece. And there's a line that just came to me. And I just, I don't even know. I can't explain why. But it's, it's this line, if the Lord delays his coming back for 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, and he wants to do something, this commission will have to be entrusted to the young people. Oh, that became a, a motor in my being. And I began to realize the Lord needs young people. For his coming back. 
And uh, it wasn't just uh, an exciting thing. It wasn't exciting like rah, 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 you know, let's bring the Lord back. It was like, if the Lord delays his coming for 5, 10, 15, or 20 years. And that's all he went. He just went to 20. He didn't, you know, that was like 50 years ago. And he wants to do something. We know he wants to do something. This commission will have to be entrusted to the young people. Well, oh, that began to just, I mean, that was sinking to the, the core of my being. And it became, oh, I became almost, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know if those were prayers, those were conversations, those were wrestling. I began to ask, what do I do? What do I do? I, I began to feel the responsibility before the Lord concerning the young people in the Lord's recovery. We're not doing a good job. We should all be fired, brothers. In a meeting with the coworkers, I said, you know, we're losing half of our kids. You should fire me on the spot. You know, I, I'm responsible in a certain way. And they kept me on. <laughs> well, so, oh, the burden was coming. The burden was coming. And there was no escape. There was no escape. A few nights later, I'm back. And the next night, I'm come out, I'm right at that spot again. I'm right at that spot again. And I'm out, and I'm, I'm with the Lord, and I'm opening. I say, Lord, okay. What do I do? How do I do this? I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what to do. And then I got a verse. Luke 19.13. Uh, do business until I come. Do business until I come. Or, if you look at the footnote, it says, do business while I'm coming. Oh, business. I have to be a businessman. I have to have a strategy. I have to make a plan. I have to think about this like a, like a businessman would. You know, I'm going to start a business. I open up my store. I have no customers. Oh, you think I sleep good? You think I'm happy about that? No, no, you've you got to figure a different strategy. You, gotta, you struggle. You, you, you uh, weep. You pray. You cry. You do whatever you have to to get a customer through your door. And so I, I, I started looking up all the ministry portions on doing business until I come. Matthew 25, Luke, uh, nine, is it 19? Luke 19, 13? I think that's what it is. And then, uh, oh, I said, Lord, I, I don't know how to do business. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Another verse. Do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy 4, 5, B. Fully accomplish your ministry. Brothers, in my whole life, I never had this kind of month-long conversation like, I don't, I don't even know what to, I don't know how to describe, but I, I, I felt I was touching something. So. Do business? Okay, do business what? Do the work of an evangelist. Okay, what does that mean? 
according to Ephesians 4, the work of an evangelist is to perfect others in evangelism. Maybe it means to go out and preach the gospel myself. Maybe it means that would be the common thought. But according to Ephesians 4, it means perfect others in the evangelism. I said, well, I'm not an evangelist. I've never been an evangelist. I'm, you know, I'm not good at it. How do I do that? And then, you know, oh, brothers, there was no escape. I'm telling you, there's no escape. I, I was led to seen and heard by James McKendrick, you know? And Brother Watchman Nee wrote the, the foreword to that, where here you have a, a person, James McKendrick, was that the person? Who did not have any gift. He didn't have the skill. He was not an evangelist by his gift. But he did the work of an evangelist. I believe that when Paul wrote that to Timothy, it's exactly the same. I don't believe Timothy was especially gifted in the matter of being an evangelist. But the situation was desperate, the church was in decline, and there was an urgent need for someone to do that work. Brothers, it's been a long time. We heard the the message last night on the, the priests of the gospel. In America, we've been largely dormant in the gospel matters, maybe other places too. And so it's not going to be easy to produce our young people to be seeds of the gospel. If we continue in our present situation, we're going to be the same place we were 10 years from now. We're going to be in the same spot. And someone has to do the work of an evangelist. Then I said, Lord, how do I do the work of an evangelist? And then the next word came. Take the trained way. Brother Lee has trained us over and over and over and over and over and over again. All the way back into the 50s. You can read the training. In the crucial truths in the Holy Scriptures, Lesson 25, Preaching the Gospel. The book that Ricky mentioned, uh, Lessons for New Believers, chapter 20 or something, 20, 21, preaching the gospel. And you know what? I got every book that I could find on preaching the gospel, and I read it. I had to. It, I, had no, I had no way. Preaching the gospel on the college campuses... I got to the crucial words of leading in the Lord's Recovery, book 5, chapter 1, concerning the gospel in the the schools, chapter 2, concerning the gospel in the schools, chapter 3, concerning the gospel in the schools. You think that's campus work. Junior high campus, high school campus. And this outline on prayer is chapter 4, on how to carry out the gospel on the campus by prayer. I got into it. Christ being the burden for the gospel. It's a book called that. Because there's a need to do the work of an evangelist with our young generation. Over and over again, Brother Lee said that the junior high and the high schoolers, first thing should be the fervent preaching of the gospel. Fervent preaching of the gospel. And I don't know anywhere that 
we're doing that or that that's happening. This is a burden. This is a burden that will not go away. And uh, I don't know what to do with it. So I thought rather than just reading some points on the outline, maybe I'll read the points now, I wanted to share with you a little of the testimony of what the last five or six years have been like for me. You know, there was a, a time during this period when maybe uh, we became a little too excited. Young people will bring the Lord back and seeds of the gospel maybe, and it gave it had a flavor of kind of a movement. But uh, right away, got adjusted. Don't. Don't you dare. Damage this by excitement. Don't make this a movement. This is too, too precious. So it's not a matter of excitement. In this book, The Administration of the Church and the Ministry of the Word, Chapter 2, Brother Lee has a chapter called The Problems in the Administration of the Church and the Ministry of the Word. It was messages given in 1957 in Taipei, and it was largely given in the context to the brothers who were giving the Sunday morning messages. And uh, in those days, as all the way up till 1987, this was our practice. We gave messages on the Lord's Day before we began prophesying. And he was perfecting the brothers who spoke for the Lord in the districts and in the halls. Well, when I read this, I wasn't reading it with that kind of an eye or that kind of a view. But I realized that in our young people's meetings, we are speaking to the young people a lot. You know, we're all speaking. We're all speaking. Even if it's a short speaking, we're speaking. And so this applies to us very much. And he, he was saying things like, if those young people or those saints can come and listen comfortably week after week without any kind of change, they're, you're serving without a burden. If you don't, if you can go give your message and go home and sleep peacefully, even though there is no progress and no change, then you are serving without a burden. And this is why he said the greatest problem is that we would serve without a burden. So <clears throat> let me read through some of these points and then if there's time I'd like to do a quick summary of this work with the second generation. Roman 2 the greatest problem in the administration of the church and the ministry of the word is not having a burden. We serve. We may serve faithfully. We're responsible brothers, so we serve responsibly. But we may serve without a burden. The greatest problem is not having a burden. Then he says not receiving a burden or not paying attention to a burden. 
three things there. We don't have one. We can't receive one. That means we're preoccupied, we're full, we're... You see, one of the things that became a real, maybe a crisis point for me, personally, was that I can't just do this the way we've always done it and see the Lord. If you get the diagnosis and you get the results, that your results are not are less than satisfactory and you're satisfied with that and you continue that, then that's terrible. So I have to receive a burden. And then I have to pay attention to the burden. Not let the fire go out. Not the fire of a movement, but the fire of the Lord speaking and the Lord's leading. It is not a matter of how well we can administrate, organize activities, plan events, schedule meetings, work out the speaking rotation, but whether our serving is effective and can touch people, change lives. Brothers, we have to change lives. We must seek the Lord concerning the issue of our speaking and whether the saints are touched. It is a matter of what is produced in the saints. That means our speaking has to produce something in them. If some are not saved yet, not yet saved, we should receive a burden to bear their souls by the Lord's grace to sow the seed of salvation into them when we release the word. Our burden is salvation, not the release of a dynamic word. We might be so caught up in giving a good message, well-rounded, thought out, planned, you know, backed up by the proper scriptures, the best stories and illustrations. And we've got it all. And so it's like this presentation, and that is our burden, not those souls that are in that room. This thing with James McKendrick, he was the guy, is he the guy that stood up in front? Yeah, yeah, he's the one that came out of the coal mine and was standing up and Actually, what was happening was this. Um, The pastor, the preacher, was going on and on and on, and the people were like falling asleep, and he was sitting nearby, and he started tugging on the robe of the the pastor, and he said, let me, let me. So the pastor was happy. You know, he was in his robes and, you know, his collar and all this, and so he was happy to sit down because it was obviously nothing was going on. And then James McKenna stood up, yeah, he couldn't say anything. He just was looking at the people, and the more he looked, he started crying and weeping. And that night, many people got saved uh, because of his, his tears. You see, that's a burden. <laughs> now, I'll tell you another story about James McKendrick not being an evangelist. And this is striking. He was young when he got saved. This was years before this experience. He got saved. And right away, he went to where his group of friends were because he wanted to tell them. And they were gangster guys. You know, they were naughty boys and they were out. And he came up and again, he began to weep. And they were softened and they got saved. Uh, you You know, we read that verse from Acts 20, 31. Paul said, night and day. I did not cease, admonishing each one with tears. 
spheres are powerful because it represents brothers we're talking about kind of the the heart and the soul of the work not just the methods you know i think i've and i think sometimes maybe when we come together we're looking for a method or a uh, a way i'm telling you this is the method this is the way we're brothers and it's not that easy for us to weep but how good if we could weep <clears throat> so our burden is not just giving a good message i know that i know that i know that point so well i'm not proud to tell you you know, I want to make sure that the young people liked my message, that they thought it was moving, that it touched them. But I can tell you right now, I do not care about that at all. I don't. But I want to touch them. I want to disturb them. I want them to leave uncomfortable. Point two, if they are saved but do not love the Lord. Isn't this many of our young people? They're saved, yet they don't love the Lord. So what? Our burden should be for them to love the Lord. We have to have some way of knowing their real condition before God. If they love the Lord but are not willing to give themselves to the Lord and receive his dealing, our burden should be for them to, be, to willingly give themselves to the Lord and be dealt with by him. This is the ministry of the word with a burden. Then point B, look at this. We need to know the condition of those who come to listen to a message. They might not have any feeling concerning their own condition, but we need to be clear and full of feeling concerning their condition. One who ministers the word should bear people's condition before God. He bears the responsibility. Are you, you happy to bear this responsibility? He bears the responsibility of knowing their needs. Isn't this precious? This is Brudley's perfecting word. I, I, I was so affected by this. We need to sense their condition and know what God wants to speak to them. They may be able to sit and listen peacefully week after week, but we cannot speak peacefully week after week. We need to receive the burden to disturb and trouble them so that even if they come to the meeting peacefully, they will be inwardly disturbed when they leave. <laughs> if we're not concerned that our speaking does not produce any effect in those who are listening, we do not have a burden. This situation indicates that those who speak and those who listen are in a routine. This is the condition of degraded Christianity. <clears throat> You know, it takes a special kind of word to reach junior high and high school young people. They're probably the most difficult audience to touch, to reach. And so we have to use stories or testimonies. We have to use illustrations or examples. And we might have all these testimonies and examples and illustrations. We might have a glove with us. We may have a lamp with us. We may have oil with us. Whatever it is, we've used a lot. Uh, but nothing can replace a burden. The burden is what moves them, what touches them. <clears throat> Roman 3, having a burden means that we have a goal 
which we must reach. If we've not reached our goal or are unable to produce the expected result, we should be concerned. If we are able to serve even though there is no result, (laughs) we do not have a burden. We say, well, we're not results-oriented, but we are. At least there should be some results, huh? If the serving brothers, whether they serve in the children's work or in the young people's work, have this kind of consciousness, they will succeed. Complaining that we fail because we're weak shows that we lack a burden. Every serving one must be burdened to the extent that he feels responsible if the work does not succeed. Say, well, how do you help others to be burdened? I think this is the automatic question, right? This is... How do you bring someone in to be burdened? Well, for sure, you have to infuse them with your burden. You have to give them a vision. And, you know, this is part of this time, year after year, is to impart a vision. And we impart a vision, and it gives you right away a burden. The second thing we have to do is we have to get an amen from them. You know, amen. And then a consecration from them. You have to lead them. Little by little, you impart a vision, you get their acceptance, their agreement, their, uh, their amen, and then you get a commitment from them. Will you join me? Will you join us in this work? Uh, sometimes we just obligate the saints. We need all the parents to sign up. We need all the parents to serve. We obligate them, and we didn't give them a vision. So... No, no wonder they serve responsibly because they're responsible or they may serve faithfully or out of obligation, but they, may, they would probably will not serve without, with a burden. And so someone has to be the, the burden bearer, the burden generator, the burden infuser. And then you have to serve side by side with them until they're fully one with you in the same thing. This is not easy, but this is really important. Some of us have to to learn how to do this, how to bring others in to serve with us. Some say that it's, it's easy to lose their burden after a period of time. Brothers, we can never, ever allow this to happen. They lose their burden. Even the serving ones, you could tell that the prayers are waning. The burden is draining out. However, those who have been shown mercy receive burdens continually. It is a serious problem if our burden disappears after we've worked for some time. Now, these last two points are kind of serious. However, a Christian can continue to work out of obligation even though he has no burden because his conscience will bother him if he stops working. Whenever our service becomes a matter of fulfilling an obligation, our service has already degraded. Genuine service is not a matter of obligation, but a matter of burden. Burden always goes beyond obligation. Isn't that good? I just, I would encourage you to read the second chapter. There's two problems that he mentions in this book. Uh, It's chapter two. The problems concerning the ministry of the administration of the church and the ministry of the word. The first problem, the biggest problem, is serving without a burden. The second problem is a problem of coordination. 
not needing the body, not needing one another. And that section on the second problem, lacking a feeling for coordination, is also very, very precious. And so this chapter, uh, just apply it to your local situation, <clears throat> not giving Sunday morning messages, but, you know, to your, your thing. I also wanted to show you, a <clears throat> or remind you of a portion in here, the normal way of fruit bearing and shepherding for the building up of the church. And I, I, I believe you've all heard of this and have read this, but I want to remind you, on page 40, uh, no, no, 15, <clears throat> picking up a burden to care for people. We should not primarily care for business affairs. We may pick up a burden for ushering in the meetings, but the ushering itself is not our burden. Rather, our burden is to take care of people by ushering. <clears throat> he goes on. For this purpose, the Lord even needs the teenagers. I hope that the older teenagers will pick up the burden to care for those in junior high school. According to my observation, we have many 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and 12-year-old sisters, but there are no teenage sisters taking care of them. Therefore, we need some young sisters to give themselves for this. After their reconsecration and dealing with the Lord, they should say, Lord, I pick up this burden. You know, we shouldn't become introspective about, do I have a burden? Do I don't have a burden? He said, pick up a burden. Pick it up. We're in this room. Pick it up. Say, uh, amen. I join myself to this. I receive this, even as from the Lord. According to my observation, okay, he goes on. <clears throat> uh, after their reconstruction, Lord, I pick up this burden. I give myself to take care of the junior high girls. This is my service. <clears throat> I will pick them up and I will bear them all the way to the New Jerusalem. If some teenagers will do this, they will have the Lord's presence with them and they will see the blessing. We cannot tell how far the Lord will go with these young ones. This is what he defines as picking up a burden. As you pick them up and you bear them all the way to the New Jerusalem. Then he goes <clears throat> on the bottom of page 17. He says this. Then we can pick up the burden for some specific persons. We should make a list of their names. Always keep it in front of us and pray for them one by one. A teenage sister may pray, Lord, this one is still not saved. Lord, I will never be at peace until I see her saved. Lord, even for my sake, you must save her. We may be too spiritual and say, Lord, this is not up to me uh, for my sake. However, the Lord may say, because you have a genuine burden for this one, I will save her for your sake. How about that? You realize that our burden before the Lord could be so? Because you have a genuine burden, I'm going to save her. <laughs> I love that. Eventually, the sister will see that little one saved. After this, she may say, Lord, this little one is now saved, but she does not love you. I can never be satisfied with this. Do something in her so she will love you, Lord, as I love you. Again, the Lord will see this. The Lord answer, the sister will see the Lord answer her prayer. Likewise, the older generation must be burdened and pray in the same way. <clears throat> I just wanted to present a picture of what it is to have a burden, what it is to serve with a burden. I feel maybe that's good. Maybe for the next. 
30 minutes if it's okay and then maybe leave 30 minutes for all of you is that okay I would like to give you kind of an overview <clears throat> of the last six years of how the Lord has been leading us first thing I'd just like to say is that we should not have the concept or the thought that the children's work the young people's work and the campus work are unrelated disjointed in some churches we described it like this the children's work and the young people's work and the campus work are like three moons orbiting the church there's one group dedicated to that there's another group dedicated to that another group dedicated to that and while these are very distinct kind of works that need specific kinds of focus yet in the concept of the leading brothers, the serving ones, all the way down the parents need to have a clear view. We are doing the same one work. The children's work is for the young people's work. The young people's work is for the campus work. We're not in competition. We're not straining. We also joked a little bit. In a lot of the churches, these are very three distinct and separate works like tritheism, you know, distinct and separate. But no, 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 this is one work. You know, we called it a pipeline. But we even divided the pipeline into pieces. But this is not a pipeline with pieces. It's the same. I, you know, I've been around long enough to see those children in children's meeting already graduate from the full-time training and married and having kids. It's the same work. We just started it at four years old, but we thrust them onto the campus. And a number of years ago, we became quite concerned that the young people that were finishing our children's work, our junior high and high school work, were in no way prepared or adequate to walk onto a campus and be one of our coworkers. What's the goal? What's the goal of your children's work? You ask any serving one, they can't tell you because they don't know. And it's because nobody told them. The goal of the children's work is quite clear. It should be that we're producing them to be seeds of the gospel in the schools, which implies two big things. Inwardly, they have been born again. They have had a definite experience of God's salvation. That's when the seed becomes a seed. A seed is a container of life. Before that, they don't have a, they're, not, they're not containing life. The goal of the children's work is to bring them step by step to the point where life comes into them and they become a real container of life. Now to talk about that process will take a week and a half because there's a lot to this. Brother Lee opened up a lot of things, but I'll, 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 maybe I'll say this much, that it has to do with helping them to experience the Lord in his judicial redemption is in a, in a marvelous way. They all need to become the worst sinners so that the blood of the Lord Jesus becomes precious to them. If we just help them to call on the name of the Lord and bring them into the way of life and they never pass through the cross, they didn't go through the blood, they will be lacking a lot. It'd be very difficult for them to be a seed of the gospel because they have to help others to receive the Lord's forgiveness and redemption. 
we have to equip them with this experience. They have to be like Paul, becoming exceedingly sinful. Not, not that we're helping them to be really ruined, damaged kids, but in their own conscience, they are sinners. We help them to be redeemed, regenerated. Oh, the life comes into that shell of humanity. They become a seed. And their experiences have equipped them in two ways to be thrust out, scattered like by the sower onto the schools. Number one, we've been helping them for five or six years to invite their friends to the children's meeting, to the neighborhood children's meeting, to the home meetings, to all kinds of things. We've been encouraging them. We've been opening up our home, opening up our hearts, opening up our houses to invite their kids over to my house, bring them into my home. We'll sing with them. We'll tell stories to them. And so this becomes a habit within them. It becomes common. This is, what, this is how we live. This is what we do. Today, in many places, and forgive me, uh, many of us are afraid to be defiled by the neighbor children. We don't want our children to be uh, damaged. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we be foolish, you know, and invite all kinds of evil things. But if you open up your home to a neighborhood children's meeting, there's going to be some naughty kids coming in. They're going to come in off the street and they're going to have some bad things. But they need to get saved too, you know. <laughs> and their parents need to get saved. We became a little narrow and a little too tight. And this has affected our, our heart. And it caused our children to become self-centered and ingrown. Forgive me to say this, I, and I hope I'm not overstating the case. I, we became isolated and secluded. And it's like what Monaro spoke about, having a bunker kind of mentality. Uh, we didn't have a broad heart. This um, element has to be in our children's work. It has to get in. And I believe this is the hardest thing to break through. Because once you have a heart for man, and people start getting saved in your home, your whole church will be crazy. Your whole locality will be upside down. Don't you think that would prepare the children to be seeds of the gospel? When they get the Lord's life, they've already seen their friends. You know, I had a kid in my class when I was little. He was in my school, my class from kindergarten, and he was the worst kid in the class. Naughty kid. Always talking back to the teacher. Even in kindergarten, I mean, it's time to lay down, take a nap. He wouldn't lay down. and I mean, he was just a terrible kid. But he got saved. I mean, his whole family got saved in my house. When I was young, when I was young, I was just... I'm watching this. I mean, I'm watching this. My parents uh, pick up this family and, and care for them. When I was in the third or fourth grade, I, I got a heart for this kid. And I was like his only friend, but I was a friend at a distance, you know, because <laughs> I didn't want to get in trouble with him. He was just a, a loudmouth, kind of naughty kid. And so I got a burden for him. When I, I, and I don't remember his third or fourth grade, I would go to school, we walked to school, the school is within walking distance of both of us, but I had to go past his house to get to school. And so I set it up, 
that I would come to his house uh, 10 minutes early so we could pray that he would be a good boy at school. <laughs> and so we would, I'd go, oh, oh the, his mother was so happy to see me, you know. Because uh, we'd go in and then we'd kind of, you know, go into the parents' bedroom and shut the door and, and we'd kneel down there and pray. Where did I get that? I mean, that's what my parents did. I was programmed this way. This was normal to me. He was one of the eight kids in my graduating class from high school that came into the church life. Uh, very dear believer. He's not in the church life any longer, but uh, very precious. I still stay in contact with him. But that's, that's what my, my point is. You, kids get a heart for others. They get the habit of inviting. And then they get the Lord's life. Boy, it's all the pieces are now together. Right? Now the Lord can scatter them. He's a sower. He can scatter them into the schools and the communities the neighborhoods. And then our young people's work is right there ready to build upon what has been the foundation that has been laid. You see how this has to work together. You can't just... And I don't mean they, they have to coordinate together. I don't, I don't know if that's practical. But we have the same vision, the same view, and we're doing the same thing. And then the junior high, we're helping them to make a list of names. Isn't this what Brother Lee has told us again and again? Remember I said, I asked the Lord, how do I, how do, I do the work of an evangelist? Do the trained way? Brother Lee said, make a list of names and pray over these names every day. This is what he says. And then he's given us instruction, training after training on, and we should just go back and, and read the books. We'll, we'll find a way. Then uh, the junior high work, we, you know, we baptize them um, after they are regenerated. And so this, the next stage starts. Now we start in the stage of equipping them, completing them. We're doing the furnishing of the functions. We're, we're doing the 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 finish you know the verses we like to use are second timothy 221 and 317 221 says if anyone cleanses himself from these he will be a vessel unto honor sanctified useful to the master and listen prepared unto every good work okay vessels unto honor this is a children's work prepared children's work is a work of preparation we're just preparing the vessels preparing the vessels you get to 317, now they're regenerated. That the man of God may be complete. It's a work of completing, fully equipped. This is furnishing the functions, completing. This is like the mending ministry of John that we saw a few years ago. Prepared, fully equipped unto every good work. Both these verses speak of every good work. Speaking of what we call Children's work and young people's work is a work of completing and equipping. So how do we equip them? We have to equip them in four things. Truth, life, the church, and the gospel. Four pillars in the Lord's recovery. We have to help them in the matters of the truth. Every young people's meeting should have the truth. We have, we do, that's all we do is we truth it, right? 
And we have to do it in a, in a way that makes it so practical for them. This is hard to convert every point into experience. This is big. To make the truth tasty. We have to serve up all the dishes in a very tasty way and bring them into the reality of the truth by converting all the points of doctrine to experience. That they don't even know what we're doing, but we're giving them the truth with, in an experiential way. This is the right way to teach them the truth. The serving ones who speak, the ones who speak to the young people, have to labor on this. This is not something that you can just wing it. A few stories, a few... No, no, you got to struggle. How do I convert? How do I make this practical? Life. Truth, one pillow. Life. We have to help them to love the Lord. Have to help them to give themselves to the Lord. Help them to become willing to preach the gospel. This is all inside of life. How to have proper dealings with the Lord. You know? Uh, this is all, all of this that I'm speaking to you is, is, has to come out of kind of a burden, you know? Uh, you know, it's like we read, you know, she, she's saved, but she doesn't love you. I can't rest. She doesn't love you, Lord. She doesn't love you. Our young people are like this. They'll come to the meetings. They'll sit there. They'll function. They'll, they'll do things like we ask them to, but they don't love you. They, they're not willing yet to give themselves to you. And truth, life, the church. We saw a lot about the church, bringing the young people into their own church life the service of the church, children's work, the various areas of service, uh, the home meetings, the small groups, so they can be related to all the brothers and sisters in a casual, home-style way, and the saints can get to know them, can recognize their face, learn their names, be concerned about them. This is where the real shepherding, you know, we talked about shepherding earlier. This is where that work needs to take place. You want to see the young people shepherded one-on-one, -on -one, you've got to get them into the homes of the brothers and sisters. And then tell the brothers and sisters, listen, you need to know these kids. You need to know what they're struggling with. You've got to understand them. You've got to pray for them. When your small group comes together to pray, you never pray for those names. Those kids are struggling. They're right in the middle of a battle for their life. They may not be here next year. And you're their last great hope because they're in your home so you got to get them into your home you got to eat with them you got to talk to them young people are often invisible to the saints they're around but nobody notices them they're just like invisible you walk right past them and so you got to know their names you got to talk to them you got to find out how they're doing and just because you say hi how you doing? They're not going to tell you. you got to say that about a hundred times. And mean it. So the church life. This is the third pillar. Truth, life, the church. Get him related to the saints. You'll know this, brothers. You ask any young person, any second generation here in the room, you'll ask them. They won't remember messages. But they remember people. They'll say, I'm here because of him. 
If it wasn't for that brother, I wouldn't be here today. How many, how many times have we heard this testimony? It wasn't, oh, that message that was given by Brother Ron or Brother Tom or Brother Ricky. It's, oh, that brother, he wouldn't let me go. So they need the brothers and sisters in their life. They need to be surrounded by the saints. Somehow we could be a bridge to bring the young people to the, to the, parent, uh, to the saints. And then the gospel, which really should be the first point. But in the four pillars, it's the last point. These are not in any kind of order of priority. And I already talked about this. We need a breakthrough, brothers, in this matter of the gospel with the young people. And don't think that I'm out of balance. Maybe I'm a little out of balance. I don't know. I can't say. Um, This is nearly life and death to them. If we are in a defensive posture, they will be in a defensive posture. They will smell it on us. And they will get that from us. No one won a war by trying not to get killed. You have to charge the enemy with full abandon, shooting the whole time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't want to say. I, I don't know what to say. I. You know, and we're having success. You know, Brother Ricky pointed this out, and, and we are. And there's, there is some change. In some places, we're experiencing some very positive things. And, um, but I'm afraid if we take our foot off the gas, we'll drift back into a, an old way. So we have to push and push. But we can't just exhort the young people, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. We can't do it that way. We have to figure out how we can do this. So everyone's have to come to pray. How do we do this? How do we get through? How do we have a breakthrough? How do we get the increase of the church through our junior hires and our high schoolers and their family members and their, you know, their friends, neighbors, and this is the normal that Brother Lee gave to us. Oh, I, I'm not very happy or satisfied myself. Well, <clears throat> the last thing that I wanted to mention to you is that we passed out a sheet of paper that had some questions on it. Um, these questions were the questions that were given to us at a recent high school sisters conference. And you know, sometimes in our conferences we have these Q&R times. And these Q&R times are kind of eye-opening because they're asking these questions anonymously and they really want to hear what we have to say. And sometimes it, it will give us a little window into what's going on on their level. You know, often we're just very impressed with the ministry and we're on another level of different frequency altogether. And uh, we're quite peaceful in this place. And then you get an 
you get a question like this. Does God state that tattoos and piercings are bad? <laughs> they want to get a tattoo. These are girls. What would you say? Well, the question is, does God say? The answer is no. Right? Does he say? Do you know any verses about tattoos? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, about this. Uh, cuttings. <laughs> so you think we should quote that verse to him? <laughs> Maybe. What, uh, does God support gay marriage? Abortion? Transgenderism? Should high school girls know what these terms mean? Will the church support a person if they are gay or lesbian? It used to be we got a lot of questions about I love, I fall in love with a, with a brother. Is that okay? Now the questions, the tough ones are about homosexuality. Transgenderism. Is the church doing anything about women's rights in society? <laughs> Actually, I kind of joked when I answered this one. These are the ones that I, I responded to. Uh, this one I said, yeah, we, we do a lot for women's rights in society. We're having a high school sisters conference. <laughs> <laughs> Point 30, what do I do if I want to do something with a student with whom I have problems? Like, hurt them. But I don't want it on my school record since I'm doing well academically. I want to beat up or kill. Yeah, there's a girl. Sorry, I, I, sh I should have told you the numbers I'm working on. Um, some of them had to do with the conference topic. Um, point number two, why don't any sisters give messages and sit in the front row in the church meetings? But look at three, how do I preach the gospel to my religious friends without offending or pushing them too much? You know, we had a number of questions, and I'll show you them, about preaching the gospel. Almost equal. Um, one was... Um, how do I... 15, how do you casually bring up the topic of the gospel with your friends? Number one, what happens to my family if they haven't received the Lord? What about household salvation? Six, does the Lord have a sense of humor? We were on the story of Joseph... Seemed like the Lord had a sense of humor. Sadly. <laughs> this from the Brothers Conference. If men can constantly fail, why does God keep going and not give up on them? 
what makes us believers any different or better than any other believer of any other religion? Does Darwinism go against what we believe in? Is it bad to have a girlfriend? What if you like someone who's not in the church? Who wrote the Bible? <laughs> and then get this one. How do we have a relationship with the Lord? How to have a more personal relationship with the Lord in school while struggling in school? Huh? These little lives, you know, these little kids, they're just trying to make it through. You know, they're just trying to make it through. And Well, brothers, maybe that's good enough for me. I, I wanted to fellowship one of the the framework, we're on this trajectory. After we've produced them as seeds of the gospel in children's meeting, and then we've equipped them, blended them in the church through truth, life, the church, and the gospel, then we sow them onto the university campuses as co-workers. This is our, this is our burden. This is our vision. We'd like to double and triple the number of full-timers we have on the college campuses. The students. The students. And how great would it be? You know, in America, sorry, there's other brothers here from other countries, but in America we have about 500 high school seniors every year, give or take. 500 that are being sewn onto university campuses across the country. Suppose we gave a hundred of those to Europe to do their undergrad in Europe. Not the naughty ones, not the wild ones, but suppose in their junior high and high school years they're learning a European language and they could go to Europe, maybe study in Germany. 270 euros for a semester. Do you think Germany has a, a lower academic standard than America? Think those German students are serious? Not like party, party time here. <clears throat> I think about stuff like this. Yeah. Hundred of them going to Europe every every year. We could have just twenty percent. You know, we give twenty percent to Europe. That would be so good. <clears throat>